Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. And we continue with our American stories and with a story about 9-11. Dr. Mike McGee is the author of All Available Boats, which is about Manhattan's trains and bridges shutting down on 9-11, and the heroic evacuation of 300,000 people off of the island by boats that happened to be in the area. It was a larger evacuation than Dunkirk, and it was executed by a wide variety of boats that answered the call for help, from pleasure boats to tugboats. And today, Mike tells us about the Fire Department of New York's fireboats that bravely served that day. One of them was the John J. Harvey, which had been decommissioned. It was, in 1931, the fastest, most powerful fireboat in the world. It could pump 18,000 gallons a minute. 
which was just unheard of at the time. It was named after John J. Harvey, who had died in a fire on a boat. But the interesting thing about it is that at the time of 9-11, it was completely decommissioned, but it was functional. And the guy who actually was in charge of the John J. Harvey was a architectural preservationist who had gotten interested in saving the John J. Harvey. So this boat, which is about 130 feet long, was formally preserved and saved beginning in 1999. And Huntley Gill was the guy who raised the funds and coordinated it, and then he became the captain. He was aided by a former truck mechanic whose name was Tim Ivory, who became the chief engineer for the boat. And he just got a kick out of, you know, keeping this thing functioning. It's a mechanical wonder. And then there was a third person named Jessica DeLong, who happened to be from Massachusetts and was a maritime historian who had gotten interested in the boat and became one of the crew members for it. So at the time of the attack, Huntley Gill was asleep in his Manhattan apartment. Tim Ivory, who lived on a houseboat in a marina in New Jersey, on the New Jersey side, was having breakfast at a diner, and Jessica DeLong was writing a freelance article in her Brooklyn flat. Within hours, the three of them were on the boat, and the boat was on the Hudson heading south to the disaster. And the first thing they did when they arrived there was to, over a loudspeaker, address the crowd that had gathered to be evacuated. You know, the most panicky people and those who were injured in the falling of the towers immediately obviously tried to get off the south side of the island and they were all gathered there. So at Pier uh, 63 on the Hudson River, where the boat originated, it headed south. And the first thing it did was use a loudspeaker to tell people, anybody want to go uptown? And 150 people boarded the fireboat and they took them uptown. Then they got a call by the time they reached uptown to discharge these 150 people, they got a call to rush back because the fire trucks had already run out of water and they needed this retired John J. Harvey to pump 18,000 gallons of water a minute to fill the trucks that were all out of water. So that's what they did. And they stayed in action down there for four days. Now, one of the boats that was there as well was the John D. McKean fireboat. That fireboat was actually in service at the time. And um, it, it was a newer boat. It wasn't that brand new. It had been commissioned in 1952, again, named after a firefighter in 1953, actually, who had lost his life in a steam explosion on a boat. The captain, though, Ed Metcalf, this was only his second day as captain of that boat. So he had just arrived, and the second day of his command, he gets this call to come down immediately to the seawall at Liberty Street. In fact, this was right after the first plane had hit, and the second plane had not yet hit. 
They were down there within about five minutes and Metcalf got off the boat to go to the command center to see what the fire department wanted him to do next. Uh, he subsequently was lost in, in the turmoil and the, and the collapse of the second building after the second plane hit, which they all saw, you know, and that's, that's another part of this story. You know, anyone who witnessed those attacks or anyone who witnessed all of, of the citizens covered in inches of dust and debris, slowly walking either north out of Manhattan or, or south to try to be evacuated by boat. Anyone who witnessed those images has never really forgotten those images. And when Ed Madcalf didn't come back immediately, one of his crew members, Tom Sullivan, went to trying to find out where he was, and Tom ended up in some of the wreckage of the second building collapsing and nearly lost his life as well. But in any case, what happened was that this boat, the John D. McKean, which is 130 feet long, it played a major role in the evacuation, and it was not designed, obviously, to transport people. In fact, these boats, the way they're designed, they need a, a gangplank of about 12 feet to reach the shoreline. And the shorelines down there were never designed for multiple purposes at either. I mean, one of the things that we learned from this event is that that New York Harbor area was not well designed for a disaster. You know, the people who run these boats, they talk about the commercial uses and bringing in liners and, and shipping containers over on the New Jersey side. But in general, it isn't a very good edge between the water and the land for boarding human beings. Uh, not designed for that at all. So the fact that they were able to move safely somewhere between 350,000 and 500,000 people off that island in a short period of time is nothing short of a miracle. And when they moved the John D. McKean fireboat and started using it, people were panicked. The towers had just collapsed. People thought that the entire southern tip of Manhattan was going to blow up. They didn't know what was coming next and they were panicked. And you had not simply Wall Streeters covered in dust, but you had babies and nannies and civilians who lived in the buildings around this area, all trying to get off the island. And the John D. McKean fireboat really ran into a lot of challenges in terms of children. Their deck was about eight foot down from the loading shores and they were literally throwing some of the babies to the open arms of these firefighters on the boat. And then the babies were taken down and four babies to a cot were, were placed and the firemen were were taking care of the babies as they were loading the nannies. In one case, a lady who was panicked actually jumped in the water and got trapped between the boat and the shore and the uh, firefighters had to actually jump into the water 
and save them by throwing a, a plank ladder down and boosting them up. One firefighter had to dive under the water to push an exhausted lady onto the ladder. So this is a very chaotic situation. And so for the boat captains who are not used to doing this kind of work to remain calm and to as much as possible protect the safety of people uh, who were inclined to do anything at that moment to get off the island. One of the common features of almost everyone that we interviewed was that when the boats were moving away from the island and looking back, you could see initially the Twin Towers on fire and then they all witnessed uh, their collapse and then they were just gone. The thing that was most in common in every story was the extreme quietness on the boat itself that was nothing like they had ever experienced. The solemnness, everyone was deep inside themselves. And he is right about the silence. And that's the silence in New York and also in Washington, D.C. And I will bet it was the quietest time in American history. People were just shocked. A special thanks to Monty Montgomery and Alex Cortez for the work. Dr. Mike McGee, author of All Available Boats, our 9-11 special here on Our American Stories. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? 
Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.